What can be learned from a story woven out of fragmented moments of joy, pain, and blissful awareness? I wrote my first book, Flesh Mapping, in 2013. It was an invitation into co-creating a pedagogy, a way of learning through our shared narratives of plays and politics, a way of mapping the injuries of the material, emotional, spiritual impact of all our many journeys of growth. Some may call it struggle, forced poverty, displacement, hunger, and war. As a child raised in war, I've learned many lessons. And in the art of living, I'm inviting some of my heroes some of the people who walk with me, who have taught me to walk in beautiful ways, to see co-creation, to see community as our immunity to pain, to suffering, to wanting. Welcome. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson, and this is The Art of Living. Someone who knows a little something about struggling is Glenn Ford. He's a distinguished radio show host and commentator. In 1977, Ford co-launched, produced, and hosted America's Black Forum, the first national syndicated black news interview program on commercial television. In 1987, Ford launched Wrap It Up, the first nationally syndicated hip-hop music show broadcast on 65 radio stations. And Glenn Ford co-founded the Black Agenda Report. Um, Glenn Ford is the author of The Big Lie, an analysis of U.S. media coverage and the Grenada invasion. Very privileged to have Glenn Ford. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for the invitation. February is Black History Month. And, and to me, it seems so integral that part of transforming our society means remembering, having a, a collective memory of the struggles that has brought us to where we are today. So where do you see us today? In the United States, the black community is in a profound state of political crisis. Ever since there has been something that we could call the black community, uh, there have been two main uh, currents of political thought and action. One of those currents simply wants to eliminate the uh, inequalities between the races in the United States. It does not seek fundamental change in American society except as it relates to race. The other current is a transformative current that sees black liberation not achievable except in the context of a, a, of a transformation of the entire society that looks at uh, the struggle as one of human equality rather than just keeping up with the white folks. Now, the, the first political tendency actually has run its course, if you believe its logic. Uh, that is, with the election of the first black president, the, there is no more need for that political uh, tendency to do a damn thing. <laughs> it is over by the logic of the... Uh, uh, of that uh, tendency. Uh, it is the end of history for them. But, of course, the election of a president does not change the status of the masses of black folks, and it certainly doesn't transform American society in general. And so, so we, can, we can see that uh, in the first tendency, there, there is a profound crisis. Uh, 
people are questioning what the hell is is a uh, is a black movement for if one has already uh grabbed uh, the brass ring uh, one already occupies the the highest uh, political position in in the land then i guess there is no need for a movement that simply tries to equalize uh the political uh status of of black people and white people but if you are from the second great current of black political uh, thought, then you realize that there is still plenty to do, that society has not been transformed, uh, that our larger purpose is still incomplete, and damn right there's a need for a movement. Let's talk about that for a moment. You know, with the election of Barack Obama, I, I don't know of a single country that did not celebrate the victory of Barack Obama. But as you quite rightly point out, our society depends on more than just a sociopolitical structure. It's an economic structure, a political structure that also creates barriers. The, the barriers to be able to participate or to go to a rally and to be amidst different races is one victory. And as you say, we, we've got that one. So let's move forward. Actually, you're not going to go to a rally. <laughs> that's, that's the great irony here, that with the uh, election of President Obama, a quietude, a paralysis has set in, uh, not just in black America, but in the, the left in general in the United States, that the effect of first his candidacy and then uh, his election was to neutralize black political forces and, and the forces of the left. So that rally you were talking about probably will not occur, <laughs> or there will be less people there because of the, uh, of the effects of that Obama candidacy and victory. It has not resulted in some new movement, uh, the, the reinvigoration uh, of, of forces uh, that uh, progressives for Obama uh, predicted it has it has had in fact the opposite effect, and that's such an important point to make because for us in Latin America, when we recently had the military coup in Honduras, and you saw a massive movement of women. Women have again, you know, a, a one of those groups in society that had been ignored, and one of the things that they point out was that ending the coup was one step. He says, but what we need is a restructuring a restructuring of our system, a, a regime change. We need to change the way we organize our society, the way our uh, economics are organized, the way our society uh, interacts with one another. So let's talk about that second stream, uh, that, that's that movement that you're speaking about that, that is challenging the economic power um, structure of our society. How do we transform that, and why is it important to do so? Well, there, there is no, no magic bullet. There's, there's no magic wand. Uh, it, it's not that the ways, the old ways that people used to do things, the old ways that folks used to organize are now obsolete. Uh, the old ways are not obsolete, and, and uh, there are new tools at our disposal, principally the Internet. What is, is lacking uh, is a, a visionary political uh, leadership. And as we know, leadership comes out of struggle. It's a chicken-and-egg situation. <laughs> we need to re-jumpstart a movement so that a new leadership can uh, can emerge from that. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm not going to come on your show and pretend uh, to know uh, uh, where, that, where the key <laughs> uh, is. Uh, the world turns and totally unforeseen things occur. We don't know 
what those things will be because they're unforeseeable, but we do know that they will happen. Uh, and we do understand uh, that this, uh, this system of capitalism, uh, totally dominated by finance capital, uh, which uh, produces nothing and acts as a parasite on the rest of society, uh, is in a degenerative state. It's like a car that's, uh, that, that's a truly a clunker. Uh, this vehicle has everything wrong with it. So you don't know which part is going to fail because all the parts in this car uh, are on the verge of failure. What you do know is that something is going to fail in this vehicle. It's the same thing with with uh, the state of the political economy in the in the United States under under uh, Wall Street. We don't know when the next crisis is going to occur, uh, although it will be soon. We don't know uh, the exact character of that crisis, although there are many possibilities. But we do know that soon uh, another uh, crisis uh, will happen, which will introduce new. Uh, circumstances and new possibilities if if uh, progressives are prepared to respond. What about the role of progressives then? Because what we're seeing now is this reluctance to even criticize uh, President Obama. For instance, uh, one of the commentaries you did on your show was the bailout of the banks, the $12.8 trillion, a significant amount of money given away to private you know, enterprise. And uh, as our previous guest, uh, Robin Hennel, pointed out, is that this really has very little uh, effect on the population, that if that bailout could have been a lot larger and it could have been invested in different and green technologies or in other ways to that would benefit the society. We Wall Street refuses to make in- investments. That is the nature of capitalism at this stage. That's what makes it different uh, than in previous epochs. That's what makes it uh, unsalvageable. This, despite being given access to actually, uh, according to the head of uh, the government's TARP program, the Troubled Assets uh, Program, Wall Street was given access to $23.7 trillion, uh, which is something approaching twice the d- gross domestic yearly product of the United States. And yet, it has not resulted in significant investment in in manufacturing, in anything that would create jobs. Instead, the banks and the other financial institutions are awash in money, and they're playing their casino game. There, There is now, world market for derivatives is now just as large, uh, approximately as large, as it was before the crash of 2008. So they are back in just the space of a little over a year, they are back playing their same casino games after having raided the real uh, economy and created a debt situation which will prevent the Obama administration, even if it were a mind to, uh, which is questionable, but which will prevent the Obama administration from doing significant uh, stimulus uh, in the next year. Another major plan for the Obama administration was that of health care. There was this um, idea that with the election of Barack Obama, there would be a, a new health program for the people in the United States, perhaps something more uh, similar to the one we have here in Canada, universal um, health care program. What happened there? Oh, Obama's plan was fraudulent. Uh, he took the language 
of universal health care, the semantics of universal health care, uh, and used it to mask something that was entire, that was its opposite. Instead of moving closer toward the world model, the Obama plan would institutionalize, uh, right in stone, uh, a privatized uh, subsidized system of health care, exactly the opposite of way of the way the world is going. And once this nearly one trillion dollars worth of subsidy for private insurance companies, uh, once it was in place, uh, the the very nature, the very weight of those money connections would make that new subsidized for-profit system almost impossible to dismantle. The best thing that has happened to that uh, plan is that, it, is that it seems likely not uh, to become law. It is far worse than doing nothing at all because, as I said, uh, it institutionalizes the subsidizing of the private insurance companies, making it next to impossible uh, for us to move in the direction towards the world plan of truly uh, uh, of a Medicare for all. Well, surely he's not doing very well for his people in the U.S., but as a world leader, he was given the Nobel Prize, the Peace Prize. His you know, those people in Norway... Uh, were behaving politically in the same way as progressives for Obama here. Uh, they made the decision to put his name in, in nomination and basically guarantee that he would get the, the, the prize uh, less than two weeks into his presidency. Uh, so without any evidence of what the real Obama presidency uh, would be, uh, they caused the, the prize to go to him. In the same way that uh, progressives for Obama uh, made all these predictions uh, about what Obama's behavior as president would be, predictions that had very little to do with Obama's actual campaign promises and rhetoric. So apparently progressives for uh, Obama disease uh, spread uh, all the way to Norway. They behaved in the same silly way, and both groups should be politically uh, discredited. Well, certainly in the case of the Middle East, they have now more troops in the Middle East than they did under the Bush administration. And we are seeing an increasing level of unemployment in the U.S. I guess understanding that the solution will not be having the right color precedent, but rather having the right structural system in place to be able to enact the changes that we need so that our resources, our wealth is redistributed in a way that is more fairly and inclusive. Um, and, and the first step is to get people in motion. The greatest problem we have is because of Obama's presence, because of a deep confusion, especially in, in, in black America, and, and the confusion also uh, among what could be called progressive in the United States, uh, it is difficult to get folks moving. And, and so one can't predict what kind of cataclysm, <laughs> new cataclysm, must, uh, must befall us before it shakes people uh, out of, of that uh, inertia. Uh, but it will occur, and people will move, as they always do. We just don't know when and how. What role has the media played in promoting um, this myth, as you point out, of what is actually, you know, the, the facts of 
what the Obama administration has promised to do and what it's actually doing, and what uh, do you the, the media the media has been absolutely collaborative with Obama uh, in creating uh, exactly the kind of political uh, paradigm that the White House sought to create, uh, and that is to create a situation in which the le- furthest left part of the spectrum of acceptable political conversations is Obama. <laughs> And there, there is no discussion uh, to Obama's left, uh, and and so we have a center right, and the Obama regime is in fact a center right regime. So we have a, a a discussion that's carried out in the corporate media that begins on a left that is actually center right, and then proceeds all the way to the most lunatic uh, realms of the far right of the Tea Party people and and these white nationalist. Uh, groups that are trying to uh, have a resurgence in the country. In in that regard, uh, the Obama regime and the corporate media uh, are are symbiotic. They they both want to keep uh, the political conversation very narrowly structured, uh, uh, cutting off uh, any uh, discussion that is to the left of center-right, and opening up the discussion to people who uh, in previous eras were thought to be so far to the right that they were beyond the pale. Uh, Now they seem to be mainstreaming these folks with the so-called Tea Party movement, which is, uh, was at least, a concoction of the Fox News Network. Well, I think that um, it is important to remember that, as you point out, change happens, and sometimes it happens o- overnight. You know, it can it can happen if people come together and actually wake up. In Latin America, in the case of Venezuela, we saw a, a shift in 1997 when President Hugo Chavez was elected, and. If you ask any Venezuelan, they'll tell you it's not just about one person. It's about a people's movement that is transforming their society. And I was talking to a worker, and I said, well, what's the difference between workers in Venezuela who refuse to just let their factories be folded and their equipment shipped somewhere else, and instead they take them over and and run them themselves? He says there's absolutely nothing exceptional about the workers in Venezuela. They're people like us. And she says up until 1997, we also had corrosive relationship between governments and the oppression of unions and all of those things you know are present there so the difference is people taking that uh, decision to to transform the society where they live in so where do we go from here i don't know when figuratively speaking uh, uh, the water turns to steam uh, we we do know that the hatred for wall street among the average people is damn near unanimous and that is a sea change from oh just say 10 years ago uh when wall street was looked upon by lots of people uh with a kind of of romance uh now there's very little of that kind of sentiment abroad in in the united states anymore but just a general dislike of wall street or even a disgust with Wall Street uh, doesn't translate into a, uh, a political movement uh, unless there is leadership and the proper catalyst. When and how does that occur? Uh, how does that water turn to steam? I'm not sure. But again, uh, I, I know that uh, that, that clunker uh, is going to break down again. <laughs> and people will have to figure out their response to it. 
What inspires you to keep moving, to keep working in spite of all clear setbacks? Oh, I actually feel quite privileged to have survived uh, to see the beginning of the end of, of this system. I mean, think about it. Uh, uh, we, we are privileged to be able to observe uh, an historical change that is, that is happening before our eyes when other generations have gone lifetimes and lifetimes, when nothing, essentially, important has happened. <laughs> so many lifetimes in the Middle Ages uh, that began and ended in a, in a world that was unchanged. Uh, and yet we see a world that changes in front of our eyes. We, we saw uh, Wall Street on its back. Uh, we saw how it had to be resurrected from, from almost death by the hugest, the most humongous uh, transfer of capital in the history of the world. We got a chance to observe that it didn't make a damn bit of difference in terms of investment in the real economy. We are watching a succession of avalanches of occurrences uh, that make the world interesting and people uh, interesting. How will people adjust uh, to these this, this rapid succession of changes. How could anyone be bored <laughs> at, this, at this time in, in world development? If we understand that Obama is also one man within the structure that seems to be well-maintained and, and it seems to almost operate on its own, right? The, the finance system seems to be uh, the one leading the charge in how our economy is organized. The military system seems to be in place to protect that structure. If one man in that position of power could make a significant transformation, what would you like to have seen Obama do? What I don't even get into that game. I know who Obama is. Uh, he's an agent of the people who purchased his presidency for him. Uh, so it is the purest fantasy to speculate about what somebody else would do and call him Obama. Obama is doing uh, what he was uh, recruited to do uh, and uh, financed to do. I think he's doing uh, as well as he could, given the uh, circumstances, for the people he actually works for, which is the banks. You have to be a man of great talent to, to pull off the, the biggest transfer of, of money to one sector of, of the economy, uh, to Wall Street, in the history of the world, and the people are not uh, storming the White House, pitchforks and torches, to kill you. <laughs> He's a very talented guy. So he did their, he did their job uh, very well. And, and succeeded in, in deflecting uh, the hatred of the folk uh, away from himself so that he can continue to do the bankers' uh, work for them in Washington. He's an amazing fellow. I, I think that one of the most important things we as citizens can do is to inform ourselves and to perhaps remove that veil from our eyes, right? So how can people get more information on your show? How can people access your show? Oh, that's the simplest question of all. You just go to www.blackagendareport.com. It's free, of course, and there's a new issue out every Wednesday. Any parting words, uh, words that um, to inspire us to move, to take up uh, the struggle and to hopefully transform our society sooner rather than later? Oh, I, I draw my inspiration from 
people. I'm not that much of an inspirational cat myself. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to your audience and yourself. Thank you again. Glenn Ford is my guest. He is the editor of Black Agenda. And as you heard of here, folks, thank you so much for being with us. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Art of Living. I'm an educational consultant and artist, authored. For more information about upcoming events, workshops, retreats, please reach out to sylvierichardson.com Until next time, remember to be playful, to celebrate joy, and to allow love in all your co-creations. You'll never have to wonder where the groove went. The groove is you.